G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Something that's happening in Melbourne this weekend, uh, the rights of the unborn being defended in Melbourne. The annual March for the Babies is on on Saturday. Uh, This is a significant event each year now. I think it's the sixth year. Well, that's that's right, Neil. And uh, it actually marks the time when the Abortion Law Reform Act was passed in Victoria. So it was passed by the Parliament of Victoria in the Upper House on the 10th of October. So this this March actually commemorates that event. Um, And certainly we would say that Victoria has one of the most draconian abortion laws anywhere in the world. And it actually allows abortion up to birth. And most people are quite horrified when you actually say that to them. And and yet we had a legal opinion by by a QC um, at the time, Charles Francis, who actually said that the way that the law was written was any abortion for any reason at the request of the mother up to 24 weeks. And after 24 weeks um, gestation, then the mother could... um, so long as two doctors um, signed off that this was in the interests of the, the mother, and that, that can actually include social, social reasons and emotional reasons as well as physical reasons, uh, then, then an abortion could be carried out. And, of course, that could actually be by two abortionists, so it didn't have to be by you know, specialists or GPs or other, other people. Now, Jenny, let me ask you about the march itself. In previous years, has there been a good turnout from the Christian community and from others who are interested in pro-life issues around Melbourne to the March for the Babies? Well, there's, there's been a number of marches in, in advance of the law being passed and at different times. And in the lead-up to the passing of the march, there were, there were a couple of rallies and a prayer rally on the steps of the parliament. So since the law was passed, uh, we'd say that we want it uh, repealed, but we certainly want changes to it to make it less draconian. Um, there's probably been up to about 3,000 people, I think, are the general estimates of how many people come. But when you think of how many Christians there are in Melbourne and, and how many people are on you know, Christian mailing lists even, then that doesn't seem very many people who will actually be prepared to come into the city and to meet and to march to the parliament. Now, we are talking about Victoria as a state, and listeners all around Australia will will recognise that uh, they'll be rightly appalled uh, in the way that you describe the abortion laws in Victoria. Is there a political will on both sides of the uh, Victorian Parliament to actually push for any sort of change? I mean, this is the whole thing, isn't it? Once the, once the doors open, uh, once uh, everything's out in the open, it's, it's hard to draw it all back in. That's right, and you know, there's that saying, you know, you know, shutting the door after the horse is bolted, and certainly that's the case in this one. And and I'd have to say, Neil, that there isn't a political will on either side of the major parties to actually do something about this. And we have pro-life MPs in both parties, and probably more in the coalition parties, who actually spoke very strongly against this law when it was passed. And yet, uh, you know, we're several years on, we're um, nearly four years um, after the election of a Conservative government here in Victoria, and just to get some amendments made, and there are a number of things that are really offensive, as I said, you know, allowing abortion right up to birth, and there was a, a 
a documented case in the last uh, year or so of a woman who was 37 weeks pregnant and for psychosocial reasons, and that was the listing on the death certificate of the child, because they have to have a death certificate after 20 weeks, um, was that this was an abortion for psychosocial reasons. And, and you know, that's quite horrifying. Um, things like just a doctor's conscience. So if a woman goes to a doctor and says, look, I'd like an abortion, and on, on conscience grounds, he says, look, I can't actually refer you for an abortion. I can't recommend that. Then the law actually requires that doctor to refer that woman to a doctor who he knows will actually perform an abortion or support her and, and refer her off for an abortion. Now, you don't have to do that on any other thing if you think, you know, the person doesn't really need a knee operation at the moment or a knee replacement because of, you know, various medical and ethical reasons that you've decided you're not under any requirement to refer them off to someone else. You, they can seek other advice. Um, in the case of abortion, a woman can just go to the abortion clinic. She doesn't actually have to have a referral from a doctor. So it really does compromise um, the position of doctors and nurses. And that, sort of, that was probably the, one of the big things. And it almost settled back to saying, at least we could amend this part of the law. Mm. And, and yet we couldn't get um, MPs, pro-life MPs, to actually even move an amendment to change it to that extent, let alone some of the other things like late-term abortion and informed consent and and for instance, minors can go and have an abortion without their parents being notified. And uh, you think, you know, all the things that you can't do, you know, tattoos and body piercing and that parents have to be notified and give permission under 18. And, and here you've got uh, no requirement at all for parents to be notified. So lots of things in the law really do need to be changed. You know, I've had a bunch of pro-life conversations just of recent times and I'm just trying to think who it was I was talking to. And uh, I was asking the question, are church leaders actually doing enough to stand up and be counted? And the response uh, from, uh, I'm, I think it might have been Graham Preston, uh, who's been imprisoned six times for his uh, mm. pro-life stances. And I think it was Graham, I, I can stand to be corrected on that, but I think it was Graham said, you know what, if, if, if church leaders don't stand and make a statement, then people who are in the pews, in the churches, don't think it's important. And there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, church leaders need to be a little bit more active and alive when it comes to some of these issues which really do matter. And I know that uh, one church leader, Carl Fays, has been writing about these things of recent times and uh, talking about even historical attitudes and the way things have changed in churches and why churches might not be standing up and being counted on issues like same-sex marriage. But that's got a broader a broader. Uh, uh, effect hasn't it across all of these different issues if churches don't speak then people will not think that these things are important well that's absolutely right neil and uh, and certainly we found during the campaign against the abortion laws some of the churches would stand up but but very very few uh, a big church that we went to the minister actually made a separate section in the service talked about it and actually he said look i'm going to be actually leading the prayer on the parliaments this afternoon i'm catching the train at such and such a time come and join me but Really, not many people of the thousand people in the congregation that day actually did so. But it was actually really encouraging to see a minister of a major denomination church in Melbourne actually saying, look, I think this is important. I'm going to be there and, uh, you know, please join me. But very, very few ministers would take that view. Many find it confronting. And, and we've heard from another major church leader in Melbourne to say, oh, well, it could be confronting if you talk about abortion because there may be somebody sitting in the church who's had one and, um, and that would be confronting for her. 
And yes, we understand that compassionate argument, but we need to take a stand on these things from a biblical perspective to say, look, you know, we actually think this is wrong. Otherwise, you've got girls in the congregation who, when they get pregnant, they may well go down that track because they've never heard anything from the pulpit about it being a problem. And these days, it's almost easier than it's ever been because you could turn up at the march, you could take a selfie and have it on social media instantly. If you're a church leader, you could take that selfie and you could have it up on your screen in church the next day and showing that you were there and actually making a stand. So it is important, isn't it, for leaders to actually be there on the march? Well, absolutely. And we'd encourage churches and leaders and um, people in the congregations as well to take a stand. And really that's why Salt Shakers has has continued over so many years because a lot of people say to us, look, our church leaders aren't saying anything, our denominations won't speak up, you know, you guys give us the information, you're telling us what's going on, you're, you're helping us to take action from a biblical perspective. And I think that's why some of the parachurch groups, whether it's us or Family Voice and others, people want to know what, what's happening and what they can do about it. So that's what we try and do for people. And, and Carl Fazer's article is very interesting. It's on the same-sex marriage issue, but he says that, that often a lot of the modern church, modern evangelical wing of the church, has got caught up in a number of things. One was the love of God. So if we're focusing on God's love, then sometimes it's actually confronting to be then talking about whether it's homosexuality, same-sex marriage, or abortion, because it doesn't seem to be reflecting this idea of grace and love, but it totally misinterprets what God's love is. God's love is for the unborn child, um, and we need to be actually speaking up for that. Um, his second reason he talked about was justice. You know, churches have got caught up in, in justice issues, and we would say that they often talk about those as social justice. But if you have to put any other word with justice, then it's not God's true justice. And uh, and so they'll talk about social justice issues, but really won't talk about the moral issues that we're confronting. Terminology can really bog you down, can't it? And uh, really, there is a sense in which you do need to recognise black and white, right and wrong. And sometimes we put these sorts of terminologies on the way we address issues, and it can cloud the issue. That's that's right. And uh you know, it's important to actually, you know, look at the facts of what's actually happening and, and then to be able to take a biblical stand on those things. And it, it was perhaps telling in Carl Fazer's article, and we've got it posted on our website, um, an article about this in light of, uh, you know, the current positions of the church. And I'd encourage everybody to read it at saltshakers.org.au. But his final reason was the problem of modern evangelical churches wanting to be seen as contemporary you know, you don't want to be seen to be out of date or controversial or, or negative or whatever. You want to be, you know, strive to be contemporary. And uh, and that aim, I think, you know, to grow these big churches often um, is runs counter to the idea of standing up for Christian and biblical values for, for actually, you know, exposing some of these evils that are in the world. Um, that's not seen as contemporary. It's not seen as loving. Um, and yet when you look at it, clearly, then these are the things we actually need to speak up on. Well, let's come back to what we started talking about, and that's the March for the Babies. That is on this Saturday. It's on in Melbourne. The march begins at 1pm from uh, Melbourne Treasury Gardens, and uh, and uh, participants are asked to wear pink or blue. Well, that's right. And the, the images, uh, again, we've got the March for the Babies details on our website, um, pink and blue. And it's interesting in these days when, you know, we've gone through the thing that you don't want to stereotype boys and girls. But my, my granddaughter, who's four, loves to wear pink. And uh, my 
grandson's favourite colour is blue. So, <laughs> that's great. Um, you know, that, that's, but that's why it is. It's symbolic of, of, of young babies that are given the opportunity to be born. And we have pink and blue balloons and other things. But it's actually really celebrating the babies that, uh, you know, we want to see more, more of the babies born and not aborted because there might be some emotional or social problem as well um, then the mothers seek abortion and you know we need to be able to help women who are in this situation to provide support um, if people have gone through abortion that there is help there is hope there is healing and forgiveness uh, for these things that we may have gone through but it's to encourage um, women that there is another way that that we can give life and um, you know my, my my son and his his wife have actually had two pre-adoption foster care babies in the last year and or the last couple of years, where they've had babies, where the mums have had the had the children, given them up for adoption, and they've actually had them for the first few months of their life, and that's been quite a quite a challenging mm-hmm. thing, but a really, really rewarding thing to see that these little babies have been given life. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.